It is Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. This is Messiah Matters number 331. Rise and shine, campers, and don't forget your booties because it's cold out there today. My name is Caleb Hay. <laughs> I sure as heck fire remember you. I'm Rob Van <laughs> Right. I was like, well, what am I going to say to that? <laughs> Happy uh, belated. Bada bing, bing. <laughs> Happy belated Groundhog's Day. You know, I think that you're actually clipping. Can you bring your uh, your sound that down was, a hair? How's that? Test. Yeah, that's better. I'll turn you up over here on this end. Bing. Uh, yeah, so uh, happy belated Groundhog's Day. Groundhog Am I right? Day. Am I right? Am I right or am I right? Right, right, am I right, 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 right. Dude, I've seen that movie so many times. It's unbelievable. Um... <laughs> Well, well we I already, sure as heckfire remember you. We already got people commenting in the chat room with questions. But heckfire, what is there really a heckfire? That's uh, the big question. You know, I got to say, I I sat down with uh, Chris Date yesterday. Wonderful. Wonderful guy. Honestly, uh, we, we have so much in common, it's unbelievable. One thing we do not have in common is our interpretation of, inter- of eternal punishment of the wicked. Um, and that's okay. That is okay. Oops. I'm all right with that. I'm all right with that. Um, and actually, you know, Chris was—he's—he's uh, he, he's more well—he's more well learned. That's not a—that's not the proper way to say anything. Um, Chris is uh, uh, much more educated than I, than I am, and uh, so I think if I tried to have any kind of a formal debate with him, even oh, you know what? Hang on, just a second. Oh, look at this. Why do I look so far so so dull? I'll tell you why. That's what happens when you forget to turn your lights on. Um, if I had, to, if I tried to have any kind of a conversation with him uh, on the topic, I would, I would probably lose hands down, uh, just because he's spent so much more time in the in the in the realm of the you know the debate of eternal punishment of the wicked. So I, I'm fine with that. Um, I don't need to win all the arguments. Um, with that said, I think that there is, I, I find major, major flaws, major, major, major flaws uh, in, and not even with Chris's argument. I'm just talking about uh, the idea of annihilationism in general. I think that the arguments are silly. I do. I think that they're silly. I think that the, that, uh, the idea that um, not existing is eternal torment. I think that that uh, actually, I think that, I think that that's trying to re- <laughs> I think it's you should tell to, him. You should tell. Him. I should tell. Him. I think, <laughs> or just tell him. You don't have to be specific, but a procedure. I think. I think that it's trying to re uh, re. <laughs> Rob's laughing because he knows where I'm going with this. Okay, because I gave my I gave I gave Rob an analogy before this, but okay. Uh, trying to say that eternal torment is you can be unconscious for that is is uh, remaking words. And definitions. You're trying to relabel something. And l- let me give you an example for 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 everyone out there. And ladies, you might not get this as much as men. Younger men, probably not as much as older men. Uh, for older guys uh, who have gone in for a uh, checkup recently, you've probably been told by the doctor that you have to have a colonoscopy. This is a very uncomfortable, embarrassing, and uh, it's not a fun procedure. Basically, what they do is they take a, uh, a camera and they stick it in places that no man wants anything stuck. And uh, it's it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to talk about and to think about. And let me tell you something. I had to go through one of these. And I went in 
And the doctor put me out of my misery. How did he do that? He made me unconscious for the whole thing. You fall asleep, and all of a sudden you wake up, and everything's good. I was not tormented by that doctor and his little probe. Now, I would have been if I was awake for it, if I was conscious for it. So the idea that torment means you can be unconscious for it, no, I'm sorry. I wasn't tormented by the doctor, and you're not tormented if you're unconscious for something. That's not torment. So when it says eternal torment, to say that you're unconscious for that is ridiculous. It's, it, it's trying to redefine words. Now, I don't know, you know, I'm sure that... that uh, my my new friend uh, Chris Date would have Ned Ryerson. Ned Ryerson. Ned, Ned Bing uh, would have some. Would have. <laughs> hey, some, good job on that Bing, by the way. How did you do that? You know, I've seen the movie enough. Do it again. Bing. Anyway, the first one was better. <laughs> the first one you, was better. You nailed it, man. Thank you. You nailed it. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that's my analogy. Um, and and I I think that. Uh, I, I think that the idea that you're just unconscious for something and that can be torment is going to surgery sometime. It's not torment until you wake up and it hurts, right? All right. Um, give us a call. If you disagree with us on anything, including eternal torment of the wicked, you can give us a call. Call our comment line. It's just a recording. You won't talk to us. And you can tell us how wrong we are, 253-465-3205. Or you can call and tell us how right we are and how... Uh, torment has to be conscious. You have to be conscious for torment. Uh, so 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email, seahag at torahresource.com, seahag at torahresource.com. Um, and then also, uh, we actually have things on hell. Uh, I think there are maybe is two articles. I don't think we have anything on annihilationism, but there uh, is two articles on torahresource.com written by my father, Tim Hegg. Uh, you can go to torresource.com and I think one of his better uh, articles on the idea of hell is, did Yeshua descend into hell uh, when he was crucified? My father says, no, go find out why. You can find that in uh, in our uh, articles section. All of the articles are free on torresource.com. Uh, we also have paid things and um, a bunch of other things. Anyway, <laughs> that reminds me. Uh, happy belated, belated Groundhog's Day. Yes, and to everyone in the chat room. Um, and uh, finally, last but not least, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I know everyone now on every video tells you to subscribe to the YouTube channel, but you should subscribe to ours because because we're we're great. That's why. Because we reference Groundhog's Day. Ground, I, I always yes. put an S on the end of it. My wife always corrects me. It's not Groundhog's Day. It's Groundhog Day. Uh, Mia Copa, right? Um, anyway, uh, okay. But when he lives it over and over again, is it groundhog's day or groundhog days? Oh, see now, now we're getting into the hermeneutical, uh, disputes of groundhog day. Um, Rod wants to know what movie that's from. Um, come on, Rod. It's from the movie groundhog day with Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, who is the doctor. Did you know that? Yeah, when he, go, yeah. When he goes yeah. in and the doctor can't see very well. Um, well, I don't <laughs> see him. Yeah, <laughs> he, I think he wrote it, dude. If if, if you haven't seen yeah. that movie, uh, no, actually, I'm, I'm sorry, Hackett's. Obviously, you don't know the movie well enough to know the key lines from the movie, which means you have not seen it nearly enough times. I want you to go watch it, <laughs> then watch it again and again and again and again. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Um, 
Shall we jump in? Yeah, I thought that was the show. <laughs> That's it. Have a good day, guys. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so, uh, well, you know, before we jump into topics, this is something that we don't do very often, and I think we should do it more often. Um, I don't know what you're currently studying. I don't know what you're currently reading. And uh, I don't know what's blown your mind in the past couple of uh in the past couple of uh, weeks. What's going on, man? Oh, cool. Well, thank you, Caleb. I, if Had I known, I would have brought all the books that are burdening up my kitchen table. <laughs> Jenny's happy about that, I'm sure. <laughs> Not at all. But here's the thing. I got nice natural light up there. Yeah. And I there's something about that, you know. Okay. Wow, where to start? One uh, I get to I'm go re- next. So one one book I'm reading is is from 2007. Is Israeli scholar named Yonatan Ben Dov. Oh yeah, and he wrote. He's a Dead Sea Scrolls expert, and he wrote the name well. A book on um, what's called the Head of All Years, and he explains that the Aramaic texts from Qumran, some of which are dealing with the stars and calendar issues, and some of which made it into what we call Enoch today. Uh, He shows that it's part of a a Jewish response to Mesopotamian science from the Persian into the Hellenistic era while it was being transmitted over to Europe from Mesopotamia. So you have uh, the idea of calendars, watching the stars and and tables of, of the heavens and things like that adopted but modified in a, in a in a group of Jewish scribes that wrote in Aramaic, and they might have been priestly because they refer to themselves as priests. Um, but they modify things. So basically, one of the arguments he makes is that one of these texts from Qumran is actually could be viewed as a translation, an Aramaic translation from an Akkadian text, from a Babylonian text. And what these this sect of Jews did is to try to take from that uh, Mesopotamian or Babylonian tradition and modify it and make it kind of Jewish. And ultimately, though, it becomes part of the Book of Enoch and has new meanings tied to it. But one of the key things is it's a 364-day calendar. Um, And uh, anyway, so there's a lot on that. Uh, Another book I'm reading right now, which is really good, is by... um, Eli Yassif, another book, it was written in Hebrew, but is translated into English, The Legends of Safed. Uh, it's like called um, Life and Life and Fantasy in the City of Kabbalah. So it's, uh, I've been to Safed a few times. It's in Galilee. It's where Isaac Luria and, uh, you know, Yosef Karo, who wrote the Shulchan Aruch, all these guys. And they were, they were into some weird stuff, let me tell you. They were into weird stuff reincarnation being one of them speaking about uh the issue of hell <laughs> um some of which i think is a response to like dante's inferno you know where that where there was a real clear epic description of the layers of hell and purgatory and and this this idea of reincarnation in the jewish world comes in that wake but uh, to as a core differentiator for one but anyway this this book is done not by a religious scholar, not by a Jewish mystic, but by one of Israel's preeminent folklorists. So he comes from the perspective of folklore, and it is a great read. Boy, it is a real good read. 
and he does it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, those are two books that I'm reading right now. Um, but anyway, I'll yeah, stop I mean, you there. and I, you and I have totally. It's amazing the different ends of the spectrum that you and I are on right now. Um, because I have, I'm currently reading. Well, I got a lot of things that I'm reading. I'm I'm reading a, a lot in terms of uh, foundational church doctrine, and the reason why is not doctrine, but um, gospel-centered churches and what makes a gospel-centered church. Why expository preaching is uh, so necessary. This is all kind of uh, preparing for my lectures and also um, my study in the Book of Colossians that I plan on doing here in the next, um, well, into April. So uh, that's all for that. But then I'm also reading, uh, I'm reading John Owen and I'm reading Jonathan Edwards. And uh, that nice. is, that is really, uh, uh, you know, everyone says that Jonathan Edwards is like the greatest, you know, and, and I can see that he might be sometime soon. However, John Owen right now is definitely um, hitting on, on all cylinders for me. I mean, everything he says, I want to underline. I just want to underline. What is so book. cool about this? I, I've spent time with both those authors also. What is so cool is they, it's their words. You know, you're reading their, because it's the same language, right? right? They're, they're using English and they use English in a way that shames my use of English. Like the way these guys communicate. Unbelievable. It's, it is with force and elegance and um, clarity. Like, but they're using, you know, it's like, wow. Like so, these, these guys had some serious. So I'm actually training. reading for fun. I'm reading the original Moby Dick. And I've been reading it for quite some time. It's a 400 Call page. Call me Ishmael. Yeah. It's, it's a 450 page book, if you don't know. And. Uh, you know, some of it is like you can't put the book down. It's a page turner. And the and then, you know, then he gets into things like, uh, you know, he has uh, he has like, I don't know how many pages, 10 pages on the Almanac of Wales. And it's just the biggest snoozer I've ever, you know, like it, if you want to go to sleep, parts of Moby Dick will put you to sleep. But the thing is, is that the the language used in Moby Dick is, you know, he's writing mid 1800s. Jonathan Edwards is writing late late 1700s. So it's closer to, to that language, much closer than I am in terms of modern day, you know. And so I feel like my entire uh, my entire vocabulary is is uh, expanding at rapid rates. With all of that said, very cool. One of the things that has blown my mind recently is looking at the uh, is is trying to consider what the first century believers what they considered, and this comes from all of the study that I've been doing, but considering the idea that I want to move my congregation to be, uh, and I think it is, but to be what is considered a gospel-centered church. You know, uh, one, of the, one of the authors that I'm reading right now, he said, if you think that, and he's speaking to pastors predominantly at this point, but he says, if you think that, that the gospel is only going to fill maybe three or four weeks of messages, then you have not understood the gospel. You haven't, you haven't understood the depths of the gospel. The gospel is found on every page of scripture. It's found in every concept. You know, not every word or line is about the gospel, but it will all get you back to the gospel, all these kind of things. And so then my question to uh, the community that I 
was preaching at the the uh, last week was, what do you think the gospel is? We talk about the gospel constantly, so what is the gospel? And uh, this this brings up all sorts of interesting insights when you start to let people tell you what the gospel is. It brings all sorts of insights into how effective your teaching has actually been. And uh, then this brought me to the idea of what did the first century believers, what did Peter, Paul, you know, what did Timothy believe the gospel was? How did they talk about the gospel? And... Uh, so I have recentered my understanding of the first century idea of the gospel to understand exactly what Paul calls it in, in Galatians 3. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And if you reorient your mind that the, uh, the gospel message was a total uh, reshaping and radical re-understanding of the Abrahamic covenant, then all of a sudden, uh, I, it, it has it, it, the shift may be subtle, but it's been kind of a, a mind blowing shift for me uh, in my theological understanding. I'm getting like Morris code in my in my headphones. Are you hearing that? Is it that? No, it is not. No, that's me clicking. I was moving my screen around. Nope, that wasn't you. It's not. Okay. You. It's still going. I can even I can hear the pitch. Can you okay. decode what it is? I cannot. I don't know Morris code. Do you have your decoder ring? <laughs> My decoder no, yeah, ring. A, that's a really good point. Is that Yeshua came to teach and clarify? Right. He it it says at the end of Romans that he came to deliver the promises made to the fathers. Right. Right. So any other interpretation of the Abrahamic covenant was wrong. <laughs> no matter how much currency, no matter how much sway or influence it had in the midst of this or that Jewish sect, they all had to go. They all had to adopt Yeshua's, which is the only interpretation, is, is what it really is. But Jews had gone astray, and so it feels like a radical, oh, you know, the reinterpretation, you know, it's not real. It's It feels that way from the perspective of the sectarians that, like, Saul of Tarsus, you know, that, that have a, their own concluded agenda and that they're all invested in it. And, you know, Paul had his little well, now slap I, on the... Now, every time I hear the word promise in the apostolic scriptures, and every time I hear uh, gospel, I think of the Abrahamic covenant. And maybe that's wrong in some places, but I think that predominantly that is a... Well, let me ask you this. Where else are you going to get a blessing in this world from right, God? Right. God didn't create other blessings. Like, it, it's not like we have, we can walk around in this world and see all these different opportunities for a blessing. And you just pick which one you want. No, he blessed Abraham and said, in your seed, right. those who bless you, I will bless. Yep. Well, first he said, I will bless you. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's move. Good, good, let's, good stuff. Let's yeah, move good. on. Uh, we don't do that very often. We don't talk about the things that uh, we're, we're studying uh, too often. But the uh, other thing, if I may, I, I'm wrapping up, feeling the heat. I've got a publication deadline for ooh. this SBL Midrash thing that's going to come out in the fall, which I'm really excited about. 
it it is based off a paper I gave in San Diego, which was one year over a year ago because it was the last live SBL. But also I'm I have a bunch of ideas for proposals for papers this coming fall in San Antonio. And uh, the president of Tor Resource has informed us that we are going. I, I guess I think Caleb said because we'd already uh, we'd already had some plane miles or whatever for that, um, which is I'm really grateful for. So, and I think the deadline's in March to get some ideas. So I have a lot of ideas for different sections, and uh, but. You know, I'm such a high connectivity person. It's more difficult for me to put things into a linear. Okay, I, I got to here because you know what? I'm in, I'm in a place where I feel like I'm, and I've said this multiple times, uh, but I feel like I'm stuck in mud. And the reason why is because I got so many things that are in the works. So for instance, I've finished writing my, uh, my Axe commentary. It's done. But now I'm going back through it and I'm, editing and I'm having proofreaders proofread through it. So I'm six months out at least, at least on my Axe commentary. In the meantime, I am preparing my notes on Colossians. So the notes on Colossians will probably be published before my Axe commentary is, even though my Axe commentary is is written. It is very frustrating because I want it out. I want it out so that it's not because I want people to buy it, mind you, which if you want to buy it, that's great. But the reason I want it out is because I want it off my desk. I don't want to have to deal with it anymore. And I know that sounds weird, but do you know, like when you finish a project and you're like, I'm done with it, but then you have to keep coming back to that project. It's like, I've, this is out of sight, out of mind now in my kind of a thing. It's frustrating. Okay. Let's so what, what are you excited about in your Axe commentary? I'm excited to get it published so that I don't have to work on it anymore. No, but I mean, what's your, what's the, what's the, what are you excited about what you did in it? Yeah, I think. Or what you're, what I you're think, trying to communicate. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that ultimately most people are going to be most excited about Acts 15, Acts 10, my treatment of, of, uh, of Peter's vision and uh, stuff like that. I was probably the most excited to learn about um, the things that are freshest in my mind. Uh, the shipwreck, Paul's shipwreck in 2027 20, uh, into 28. Um, learning about the uprisings in the first century and prior to the first century that are referenced in the book of Acts was super interesting to me. And uh, so one of the things that I try to do is, I, unlike my father, my father goes uh, through uh, his commentaries one verse at a time. It's a verse-by-verse verse, uh, treatment. I take a chunk at a time. So I do, you know, verses 1 through 11, you know, and then I'll write on that. And so it's, it's uh, I think it's more for the, uh, for the average person. I think a lot of people are going to be d- disappointed because I used uh, I used traditional church language, so I used church instead of ecclesia. I used Jesus instead of Yeshua. I used Christ instead of Messiah, and I did that because I feel like um, I feel like a, a lot of the a lot of the people that I'm trying to actually reach with the commentary are people who are either in the church <clears throat> but questioning things like the Sabbath. Um, 
or are maybe, I don't want to use the term coming out of the church because I don't believe that that's right, but maybe have come to an understanding that the Sabbath should be kept and now they're looking for a group that is Sabbatarian. Those kind of people are kind of the people that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, writing to. At the end of every chapter, I also put uh, study questions and then preaching points. So my hope is for the lay pastor who doesn't have a whole lot of training, they can pick up my commentary and get some points and then have a couple of things to preach on on, on a Sunday or on a Saturday. Awesome. That sounds so. really cool. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. On the fly interview with Caleb Hay concerning <laughs> his forthcoming commentary on the book of Acts available in six months or so. Yeah, so, yeah. who knows? All right, let's, we still haven't got, we're, we're in almost a half an hour and we haven't really <laughs> talked about anything. That's okay, we're having fun. We're having fun. Okay, Ned writes in and, and Ned's our, our good friend. Not did, Ryerson. Not Ryerson, by the way. And did I, you know, I my Mia Copa again to our, our producers. Here are our producers, everyone. Uh, producing... Uh, show 331. Thank you very much to our producers and to all of our supporters nonetheless. Um, so Ned writes in. What does Ned say? Ned says this. He says, hi, Rob. Yesterday, someone in the Taurus that he mentioned the phrase the third day. Now, this is actually one of the places that I will kind of light up because I've done work on the third day. Anyway, I have often wondered the meaning of the third day and how it relates to the seventh day, the millennium. I know the Hosea passage says after two days, he will revive us. And the third day, he will raise us up to live in his sight. I think there are a few others in the Torah. Thanks. Okay, so the question is obviously on the third day. Do you want to start? No, you, you've probably done more research than I have on it. Let's hear it. So uh, in the ancient Near East, the, uh, the idea of third day, uh, if someone was dead, uh, they weren't considered their. It was believed that their soul stayed with them until the third day, and when the third day came, their soul left, and then basically their body was like that's when you would dispose of the body. And uh, so one of this is actually very important for our understanding of the resurrection. Now, a lot of people will say, "Oh, the sign of Jonah and whatnot," and this gets into all different kinds of um, different debates, but. It didn't have to be 24-hour days. Any part of a day was considered a day. And what, so, what source is this? What source is what? what where do we learn? I, I remember I, someone told me that before, and I, I asked them what, like, like the statement, oh, people believed that. I, but I, like, how do we know people believed that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, that's... Uh, I've so, never seen it. I know. I think it's in the Talmud. It is I think in the Talmud, in the, and so so we're talking later sources. And, and yeah. actually, this is actually the, the the earliest source that you have for someone. And I think there's more actually on the third day, and we see the third day in terms of death uh, throughout the scriptures as well. So there's, it's not specifically said, but this is. I think that there's evidence that points to it in terms of the of the idea that not a full twenty four hour day constituted a day. We find that in the rabbinical literature, and so once again we're late in that. But the idea is that it's it's still held over, and so this is why you know you'll say, oh well, Yeshua died on a Friday, and you know those in the in the Hebrew roots movement will say, oh no no no, he died on a Wednesday. Haven't you seen the one nineteen image? Uh, no, th th this is not true. Yeshua clearly died on a Friday. It's in the text. I mean, I and I know every time I say that, people, oh no, it's not in the text. It is in the text. Um, anyway, 
the the idea is that Yeshua died on a Friday. That constitutes one day being dead. Saturday is the next day being dead. And Sunday, any portion of Sunday would be um, the third day. And so when he and it says we expected him to rise on the third day and it is the third day and he has not risen. Uh, this is on the road to Emmaus, right? And it is right. the third day. And so obviously they didn't think it had to be 72 hours, all sorts of stuff uh, like this. And we see throughout Scripture um, on the third day, by the third day, all these kind of things. So, um, But in, as it relates to the millennium, what are your thoughts? Well, my, again, this is, I don't know for sure because Ned didn't say in his email, but my assumption is that he was alluding to also in the Talmud, this idea that creates a, a timeline for the world in units of a thousand years. And that each thousand years is a day. Right. And so. Oh, I lost, I lost Rob. Where'd Rob go? Testing. There one, we go. Two. There you are. Okay, you're back. Uh, so I'll, I don't know where you lost me. So a I thousand years back. is a day. Yeah. So if Christ was incarnated two thousand years ago, that's two days ago, right? And so we're coming into the third millennium, which is the seventh millennium, which is what Michael, what's his name that you saw in Jerusalem? That was his whole shtick, right? was that the seventh millennium, I think that was his website, was seventhmillennium.com or whatever. Um, yeah, and so I don't know. I mean, I, I can't comment on what rabbis believed other than what was written down. And I know that there's different views of the world. If you look at it like, well, we're in what year we're in, 5,000 something, 81. Um, you could say, oh, so once the word to sit, once the Jewish calendar gets to 6,000, it'll be the messianic era because from 6,001 to 7,000 will be a thousand year reign. That's, that's the viewpoint some people take. I don't know. I mean, I, it's, I guess we can speculate about it for a couple minutes and, but I don't know how to hang out there. I mean, I don't know. What do we do with that? Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's a good question. Um, we have, so, but that, but I might be not getting all the, what, what Ned was trying to ask. I acknowledge that too. Um, we have a question in the, um, chat room that I want to pose to you. I have not heard of this, so I'll ask you if you've heard about it. They say, have you had the opportunity to read through Brad Young, uh, Brad H. Young, New Testament, authentic Hebrew heritage Bible? If so, what do you think? I have not heard of such a translation. Um, anytime I hear things like authentic before a translation, yeah. and anytime a single person's name is put on a translation, I always have huge, huge red flags go up. Um, but that doesn't mean that uh, I don't know who this uh, Brad Young is. And so, you know. Is he at Oral Roberts University? Is that the yes. guy who's it? Uh, he lives in okay. uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Young is an uh, emeritus professor at the Faculty of Graduate School of Theology at Oral Roberts University, where he served as the tenured professor of Judaic Christian studies, teaching Bible and theology for 31 years. 
Hmm. Um, so yeah, I I, I, I haven't heard of it. Um, every time somebody asks me about Bible translations, I go back to the same thing: find a Bible translation that uh, is done by a committee of people. Something yeah, like go, e- I just exactly ESV, NAT, yeah. Well, no, no the, need to. The NET is uh, is good for the notes, but I actually, uh, I, I, the more I read the NET, the more I realize they have some uh, major. They're 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 going off of what they think the text means and not what the text says, and that well, they all problems. do though. They all do at certain degrees. No, but what I mean <laughs> is that it, what I mean is that the NET is not a literal translation. It's a so in other words like. Uh, my father pointed out, like, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and not sworn deceitfully. If you read that, they don't take a literal translation of that at all. They tell you what they think it means. Um, and they do that throughout the text. But their 66,000, or their 60, yeah, 66,000 notes are a invaluable resource. It's unbelievable. To, their, their notes are fantastic. Yeah. Stick to the NASB, the ESV. That's my that's my suggestion, and why we would need another translation outside of, you know, um, another it, Hebraic. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, Caleb said that a uh, a person called Lou White posted on our something on our one of our YouTube channels or YouTube videos, um, but we saved it so. So it, but we deleted it because it has a bunch of crazy stuff on it. it. But it's like, I'm glad Caleb kept it. He sent it to me. I emailed Lou White. I said, look here with an image. I CC'd Caleb. I said, here's the post. I, and I said, if, are you serious about this question? Do you seriously want an answer or are you already, you know, yeah, have you made your up your mind? You made up your mind, and, and this, and I said in the email, I said I'm hesitant to. I don't. I'm. I'm asking you. I'm putting the ball in your court. If you really want to learn something, let me know. I haven't heard back. <laughs> so now, a he didn't get the email, right? Possible. But on the other hand, he did come across our video and take the time to comment a paragraph a pretty healthy size comment. So if you're watching this, Mr. White, contact me if you really would like to learn about the name of God rather than go with your the, the false presuppositions that you have. And I'd be happy to, to walk you through that. Paul writes in, he says, how do you, we, truly know which way to, and this is, by the way, this is on a, a video uh, that I clipped uh, uh, regarding paganism in words. <clears throat> so last show, 3.30, we talked about whether or not words, uh, you know, pagan words, so for instance, Saturday. Oh, that comes from Saturn. Don't say Saturday. Um, those kind of things. Uh, and ultimately, this comes down to word policing, right? Whether or not word policing is something that we should do. Um, now, this uh, uh, this person's, Paul's comment, uh, we can take and actually uh, expand it a little bit. So, uh, but I think it's worthy of, of a discussion. He writes in, he says, how do you or we truly, truly know which way to look when the same word policing gets us off into total misunderstandings of scriptures? If you close one eye to what or how people say, Lord, Hades, Saturday, Jesus, etc., 
then turn around and admonish people to have both eyes upon open because that that scripture doesn't say go get an uh, Easter ham for Sunday. <clears throat> no, wait, Sabbath is any day you want it. The instructions are done away with. I can sin by grace. I mean, saved by grace. I may be too literal, but earnestly trying to discern what is true and proper. There are a lot of passionate people out there teaching opposing things from the same scriptures. Well, you, I need you to translate that to me because I'm not, I, I appreciate the email, but I want to make sure I'm catching the nuance. I Go. think that what he's, I think that what he's saying, and I'm going to actually put it in my own words in a few seconds. I think what he's okay. saying is, okay, you say that words aren't pagan like Jesus, Saturday, Hades, Lord. Okay. But, um, if there are pagan origins to them, then why why is that okay? Why doesn't that lead into like I'm free to be able to use these words? Well, I'm free to eat whatever I want. I'm free to worship on Sunday instead instead of Saturday. In other words, doesn't oh, this, like a fence yeah. against transgression? Yeah. So so you don't seem to care about using paganism within words. What makes you not care about using paganism in oh, other things? Thank you. Okay. Now what? That, now, that, I I think I get it. Now what I'm what I would like to expand this into is okay. And this is a this is a question that we both can answer. But um, if you're if you're willing to say Lord Hades Saturday Jesus these things, and people think that they have uh, pagan origins, which by the way, I do not believe that uh, Jesus is, has pagan origins or Lord has pagan origins or any of that kind of stuff. But anyway, nonetheless, um, words like Saturday and Hades and these things. So if uh, we're willing to use those words anyway then why not uh, allow someone to say something like Yahweh for the sacred name when they're you know reading at our congregation? Oh, okay. That's, that's kind of where I took his comment and expanded it into uh, almost a sacred name-ism of, of the, of, you know. In other words, the question could be this. Caleb, I see you being word police on this front, but on this front over here, Right or, or being against word policing on this front, but on this front over here, it's like you're the front of the line of the word police. Exactly. That's yes. what I'm hearing. Okay. Yes, exactly. Okay. okay. You want to go first? Because yeah, we got okay. yeah. Because so just just some guy actually goes into uh, into uh, sacred nameism after this. So go ahead. Yeah, I think uh, that's a real. If if that is the question. If that's the core question is, look, you guys are anti-word police here, but over here you are pro-word police. Well, we are pro-police <laughs> on the right things. Lawful. Right. We want lawful policing. Lawful policing. That means clarification and explanation and sound teaching of what Scripture says that is something we are to guard and to protect is is what the scriptures say so when it comes to on the one hand the well how come then you know do it i'll just do whatever i want i'll i'll eat pig whenever i feel like it i like bacon you know well that doesn't stand up because that's against what the torah says so, so that kind of policing is, it, it is, well, maybe I don't even know if that's policing. That's just saying, hey, this is what the scriptures teach. Um, when Yeshua 
confronted the Pharisees that we read about in Matthew 15 or Mark 7 about the hand washing, they had lift, they had they had elevated a local cultural custom by which they differentiated their group from other Jews and from Gentiles. They had made that, they had given it greater weight than the scriptures. And Yeshua called them out on it. And so is that policing? Was Yeshua policing them when he called them out on that? But on the flip side, the Pharisees, when they are saying, hey, your disciples aren't washing their hands when they come in here, that's their policing, and that's the wrong kind of policing. So that's where I see it. When it comes to the sacred name, people are inventing, again, it has to do with low literacy, low Bible literacy. And that's, that's my opinion, you know, and, and, it's, and it's a somewhat educated opinion. You know, I don't have all knowledge, but I'll tell you what, I mean, you know, it, it's for the people that are coming up with these like Yahusha and Yahuwah and, and Yehovah and all these things, these people are being led down the wrong path. They're being led down the wrong path. They're being equipped for a battle that's never going to happen. And what's happening, it's it, it's to their own disadvantage in the long run. Because to stand strong on the rock of the word of God, to build on the words of what Yeshua says, whoever hears my words and does them is like a wise man who builds on the rock. If that's where you want to be, then you need to abandon that kind of foolishness of these of these people that are sensationalizing the how to say the name of God and all this stuff that Yeshua and the disciples had nothing that they would have laughed. They would have said, they would have laughed at that idea. So that's my, that's what I'd say about why. Okay. So we actually have several things going on here. Number one is um, in terms of word policing, I think that, that um, the idea of word policing things like Hades, like Saturday, January, um, you know, all these kind of things. I think that this comes from actually the idea that we're not supposed to, the Torah tells us not to have um, the the names of pagan deities on our lips, okay? And I think that this actually is a, mis, a, a misunderstanding of what that means. What people think by that is, that uh, we're not even allowed to say these names, and therefore uh, this goes into words, and now we're going to word police all these different things because, look, these words come from pagan deities. So I think that that's kind of where this comes from. However, uh, if you've heard me talk about the Semitic understanding of a name before, and actually Chris Dayton and I talked about this yesterday at lunch, uh, but the idea of a Semitic name is not the title of a god. It's not that I can't say the word Baal or that I can't say, you know, uh, I don't know what, uh, Muhammad or, you know, I know Muhammad's a prophet, but, you know, anyway, uh, you, it's not that you can't say these things because having a title on your lips is against Torah. The idea is that you are actually putting a, a, a uh, something behind it. In other words, you're praying to or you're in the name of a deity. And what that means is to be a representative, to, be, to come in the power of, to uh, put trust in, and to ultimately, if you're praying to a deity, if you're praying in the name of a deity, you are ultimately, you are uh, falling into idolatry. This is clearly against Torah. So the the idea that you're not allowed to have the name of a of a pagan deity on your lips is to talk about worship of another god. It doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to say the word January. 
Okay. So that's number one on policing, uh, word policing. Now, I think that to talk about the sacred name and, and things like that, let's go to just some guy, and we've talked about just some guy in his comments before, uh, usually has really good comments, and he has another one here. He has he says, question, I am totally on board with the concept of Yeshua and Jesus as language progression, and, fi- and fine with saying the Lord or Yehovah or Yahweh, but... Is it better to make a best attempt at using the name of God, or is it better to refuse to make an attempt at all? Is the dominant theory that perhaps hiding the use of the name, insert your best guess here, with just saying the Lord Lord or Hashem, which for those who don't know means the name, is better and we wait till we have a clear answer from God, like the woman at the well. When the Messiah comes, he will tell us, till then I ain't changing. That's not an exact reflection of the Greek. (laughs) Or is the answer simply go with your community? This is a great question because I think that um, I think that this is. uh, (laughs) Yeah, if you're part of if you're part of Yeshua's Ecclesia, then you go with the community and the community is it's it's Kurios, it's Mar, it's Adonai. That's your community. Your community is the community of the apostolic writings. And if you go with that community, then there's no precedent for anybody to come up with inventive ideas based on limited, minute understanding of all the issues involved. And normally zero or minuscule knowledge of the languages involved and the inability just to hear Yeshua himself and the, the disciples and say, I'm part of that group. And if I'm part of that group, there's nowhere, there's no support for these Indiana Jones adventures on discovering the hidden name of God and all the stuff that, you know, Gordon sells and all this kind of stuff. It, it's not there. So there's there's a lot of different things that we could say about this. Uh, you know, recently in my community, somebody said, hey, man, you know, why don't we say Yahweh? Let's just say Yahweh. It's a it, that one's an invention of the scholars. It's not even believers that in, that in came up with that one. But, it's not even believers. But it's, what? It's, but it's what? Nineteenth century academics. But what I figure? What? What? <laughs> I agree with you. But to sit down and to try to educate people on this is going to be a waste of time. And the reason why is because people have filled their heads with all sorts of internet scholarship, quote unquote. I'm I'm putting quote marks around internet scholarship, um, which is nonsense. And you know what? Oh, but you see, wasn't it the wasn't it the John? What's the uh, John MacArthur Bible? Aren't they putting yeah. Yah, Yahweh in the? And but, it was this big feature. It's, it's like, come on, you guys. There's it's it's <laughs> the the point the point for the point that I made to this gentleman was look, it's a point. It it, it is a uh, it is a point of uh, if you if we were to start saying Yahweh from the pulpit, there would be a split in the community. So there would be people that say, that's not how it's said. And here's my thing. And they would know how. Well, probably they wouldn't. They would just say you shouldn't be trying. But the point, neither here nor there. It's obviously a divisive issue among uh, believers. That's number one. Number two, um, number two, God gives us a slew of his names. El Shaddai, Yah, El. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Why are people so stuck on Yodhe-Vavhe? Uh, in the Apostolic Scriptures, and this is one thing that Rob said to me the other day, we don't see, we do not see Yeshua 
or the apostles or the disciples trying to say the sacred name. They don't try to transliterate the sacred name. They don't try to say the sacred name. What do they use? They use God. They use, you know, kurios. They use Lord. So Lord, God, Elohim. Right? Heaven. Yeshua says, or on power. that You just see the son uh, at the right hand of power. It's just, it, it yeah. And what in on the flip side, what we do see from archaeological evidence is even pagans writing the four-letter name of God on different amulets with the names of other deities in, in the context of magic to try to influence under the belief that because they have this, quote, secret information, secret knowledge, that they now have power. Right. And this is... that. That's it's totally that's, that's idolatry. That's idolatry. And why in you know in in our community we're reading on the one year cycle and we're reading in Exodus and it, in this we had this great discussion about Exodus during the the plagues which says he said that he will cause all of Egypt to know his name. Well, all of Egypt will know his name. What does that mean? It means it doesn't mean anything other than that he a that that Israel is his people, and that he's going to shame that he's the true God, that he's going to shame exactly. Egyptian this, theology, and, and, and that comes, he's faithful to his covenant. And this comes back to the idea that uh, that when the Semitic understanding, especially in the Bible, and this, this can be shown over and over and over again, is not a title. His name is who he is. If you believe that he is the only God, I am, if you believe that he is I am, then... This is what it means to be in the name of Christ, right. to be in the name of God. It's not to have the correct pronunciation of a name. Now, people are going to say, well, you're word policing. Okay, well, once again, we're talking about huge divisive issues here. Let's go back to the scriptures. No, we're talking about invention. Yeah, We are There's, talking there, about invention. It, it, those yeah. are, these, these, that's why we see so many different ways that people are saying that you need to say it, and then, but then they don't agree on how to say it. Why? Because they're all trying to argue for their own invention. They're all trying to sell their own their, their own invention. It's not, let's, there's yeah. no foundation. Let's go to the scriptures. If Yeshua didn't uh, try to, we, we don't have one example, not one example of Yeshua attempting to, to insert the sacred name of God, or at least the writers trying to recount him. Saying the, the only place we have it, we have like in Revelation where it has the, the Hebrew word hallelujah transliterated. Hallelujah. And it's just, right. and yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the point is, is that if Yeshua is not, uh, and the apostles are not trying to uh, push their own uh, their own way of pronouncing a name, why, why are we? Why are we trying to outdo our master? Slave is not above his master. Exactly. Student is not above his teacher. That's Yeshua said. So back to the idea, is it, a, is it our community thing? Well, yeah, what community? If you're the community of Yeshua and the, the apostles, then go with that community. If you are Indiana Jones wanting to come up with a new religion and, and the authentic Hebraic church with Paleo-Hebrew and all this stuff, then that's, that's a house built on sand. And that's what right. Lou White has done with his translation, that he, big Bible that he's got out. You know, yeah, it's, it's, you're leading people down the wrong way. It's the wrong path. Let's go to, uh, let's go to a different, a totally different conversation. 
Uh, this is from Gregory, and this is an interesting one because, well, I think it's a fairly, uh, anyway. I know that this question is not a typical theological question you and Rob answer on your show, but I had a practical question regarding the use of swine in an agricultural setting. I know that yod heh created all creatures with a purpose in mind and that animals and the creation were created in light of the creation mandate for d dominion. And he gives references. Furthermore, Leviticus 11, 7 through 8 indicates that swine is unclean to eat and not to be touched and not to touch their carcasses. Okay, right here we're already moving off, uh, off the text a little bit. Leviticus 11, 7 through 8 is actually talking about all unclean animals. It's not just talking about swine. And if you read the context of Leviticus 11, 7 through 8, it's talking about all clean, uh, uh, unclean animals. He gives examples. He says it has to have a split hoof and chew the cud, right? And then he gives examples of, of what is not acceptable. In other words, if it, ha if it chews the cud, he gives examples. Um, you know, if it chews the cud, but it doesn't split the hoof, you're not allowed to eat it. If it splits the hoof, but it doesn't chew the cud... Uh, you're not allowed to eat it. It has to do both. And he gives examples of those. One of those examples is the, the pig. But the uh, the text of Leviticus 11, 7 through 8 is not singling out pork as more wrong than any other unclean animal. So that's number one. Um, so Levit uh, Leviticus 11, 7 through 8 indicates that swine is unclean to eat and not to touch their carcass. And that's for any unclean animal, which I take... Carcass to mean dead bodies, uh, remains bones. Yeah, but, but even if it, even if there's a cow that died, that if there's a cow carcass and you touch it, you're unclean. You're not, you're not less unclean, right, from a cow carcass than you are from a pig, a pig carcass, right. So I, yeah, I agree with you. The, the and you're not supposed to eat. I, you're not supposed to eat even eat a, a, a if it's a clean quote clean animal. Like if a cow dies is torn by wild beasts, you, you're not allowed to or, eat it. Or, or hit by a car. You're right. Yeah. Like a deer's hit by a car and people like go and they, oh, there's some good I'm sorry, here. all you people down in the Ozarks, your roadkill is not. Torah says, kosher. in that case, the <laughs> road roadkill, whether it's a deer or a cow did or I, an aardvark. Did I just offend a, a, half of our listening audience? Or, I'm sorry, no, people in the Ozarks. Or a, or a uh, what else gets hit by a car? <laughs> a squirrel? Yeah, that's unkosher anyway. Yeah, yeah. The, the, my point is, it's, it doesn't matter if it's a cow that killed killed by a car or a squirrel kid killed by the car. You don't eat the meat in either case, according to the Torah. Right. Um, so they go on. And actually, let's get to the text here because I want to see it. Oh, come on. what What's happening? That should have worked. Why didn't that work? There it goes. Okay. Uh, they say... Uh, but there, and this is where it gets really interesting, but there is a distinction between swine and the other unclean and clean animals. I don't think that's true. I think you're reading Leviticus 11 wrong. Anyway, they go on. Leviticus 11, 24 through 27 seems to indicate that with other animals, yod heh commands that should one touch a carcass, they wash the clothes and be unclean until evening. This, of course, is way different than do not touch their carcass in 11 in Leviticus 11, 7 through 8. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I think that this is a, a misinterpretation. Uh, 11, uh, 7 through 8 is talking about all unclean animals there. It reiterates in 11, 24 through 27 that you're not allowed to touch the dead carcass of these animals. Uh, once again, we're, we're talking about death. Well, it's not. it just says there are consequences for it. 
Right. I mean, sometimes you're going to have to, like, if there's a, if there's a dead animal in your driveway, I mean, what are you going to do? Just drive around it? Like, no, you got to take care of business. You got to dispose of the carcass and whatever, what that looked like in ancient uh, Israel. Did they, did they burn it? Did they go bury it? I don't know what they did. Uh, yeah. Sometimes, according to the Torah, it would be possible to sell meat that died of its, you know, some other thing. You could sell it to right. a person, you know, yeah, a, a, a non-Israelite. But the idea is that that, that would be a, um, those are people who are like, have no money and they're starving and they're not reckoned as part of the covenant people. Right. Um, so in any event. But but uh, so getting back to the final point of this question, and the final point is, he says, my question, with all that being said, is there any evidence, historical or scriptural, that would indicate the using swine is allowed by Yodhe Vafe? Yeah, all evidence would point that it is allowed, that you're allowed to use swine. You're just not allowed to eat it. Or you're, and if you touch a dead carcass of it, you're going to be unclean until evening. Just well, like here's, any- here's an analogy I thought of is like it, my wife loves to garden in the springtime. It's as many probably right now you're starting to you're looking at your seed catalogs and planting your garden and everything. You know, Lord willing, we have a beautiful spring on the way. Um, now those our friends uh, from the southern hemisphere, of course, are wouldn't be coming into winter, but or fall, I guess technically. But in any case. We have bugs that are like a good kind of bug. There's like good kind of spiders because they function. Um, my wife knows way more about this. Caleb, maybe you know more. Way I don't know a lot about it, but I know that basically there's a little ecosystem of different kinds of bugs and bees and all this kind of stuff that you don't eat, but that God made and and they they benefit the garden as a whole. And so what I eat, I take from the garden, the tomatoes and the peppers and the the kale and the lettuce and the onions and you know whatever the zucchini all the all the wonderful different kinds of produce but the bugs i'm not eating i'm not going through the garden picking out all the bugs and eating those they're working they're unclean for me they're not for me to eat that's the point right they're not for me to eat in the same way now maybe there's people who have dealt with with people who use swine for different reasons in part of their farm. And I'm sure there's a use. For, I, God didn't make them to not have a use. I don't know a lot about how, what that would look like or what that entails. I know what I've seen, you know, pretty much eat anything and there there's mud, and, you know, and that sort of thing. And I have to say, you know, my wife and I have really wa- liked watching these veteran shows where they have like, Alaska Yukon vet doctor or whatever. And she goes out to all these different places. It's pretty awesome. Cause she, you see all these different animals, but little baby piglets are super cute. You know, I, I and so I could see why little kids might want a, a little piglet for a pet. You know, I could, I can see that. Uh, so, but again, I'm speaking from ignorance on this in terms of how pigs are used and domesticated for people in, in situations where they're not to be, where they're not for food. That's what I'm trying to say is that I I'm sure there are ways where it's not for food, but I don't know what they are. So uh, my, my biggest point here is that I think that there's multiple things going on in this comment. Number one, swine is not uh, seen as dirtier or more different than other unclean animals. I don't see that in 11 in Leviticus 11. That's number one. Number two, yes, you can use a pig or anything else. Um, as as long as you're not eating it, 
Uh, that's number two. Uh, there, there seems to be uh, a, I'm not exactly sure what Gary in the chat room is, is getting at. He's talking about signs and wonders following the word preach. Torah should have signs and wonders following correct. And then he goes to the disputed text of Mark 16 and, com- and, and quotes it for some reason. Gary, I'm not exactly sure what you're trying to get at here. And uh, so what I would encourage you to do is the same thing I'd encourage everyone to do. If you have questions that you'd like us to uh, to look at, please uh, go ahead and shoot us an email. You can write out all of your thoughts and describe your argument or your question or your comment in better detail. You can do that by going to chegatorresource.com. Not going to, but emailing chegatorresource.com. It is c-h-e-g-g at torresource.com. You can also call our comment line 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. And uh, yeah, we would uh, actually... so. We base our show around uh, the comments and the questions and all that kind of stuff that we get. And um, because of that, uh, if you have anything that you'd like us to talk about, please shoot us an email or call our comment line or leave a comment in the um, in the comments section on YouTube. And uh, that actually fuels this show. Uh, next week, we have no clue what we're talking about because uh, you guys haven't written us in a little while. So start writing those emails, start making those comments. And leaving those phone messages, and we would be happy to talk about those things. Okay, anything else before we take off? No, great discussion today. Thanks for the emails from um, from Ned and from who was the other Paul? We we Paul. we had a couple of them today. So yeah. good ones. Thank yeah, you very good. much, Thank everybody. You. And uh, yeah, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. You know what that is. It's to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters. 